Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. transition into uh, what I think uh, God has for us this morning uh, through, through my message. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for the gift of life, for the gift of having uh, you present in our lives and in our stories to walk, walk with us. God, we are so grateful that you walk with us on the days when it feels like the sun is shining and also on the days when it feels a little bit dark and gray, like my hair color. We're grateful uh, for your presence here among us this morning. Be with me now as I share some of the words that you've laid on my heart for us. In your name, amen. Uh, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series. The sermon series is called Small Boat, Big Sea. And, uh, and I, I was excited about this sermon series when Preston uh, suggested it. Uh, it. It was actually something that kind of got, got me excited. And the reason why I think it gets me most excited is because it, it, these stories that we're going to be talking about are really focused on Jesus interacting with, with common people. And, and, and they are simply stories of Jesus revealing his heart to them, what he was about, what he cared about, what he wanted them to care about. What he wanted them to see, what he wanted them to experience, like all of these things kind of take place around the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And there is a sense, and I hope there is a sense, that actually in so many ways we as individuals are maybe sometimes like small, feels like maybe we might be a small boat or maybe even just like a little dinghy that's losing air in, in what feels like a big, vast ocean. And, and then there also are times, maybe even for us as a community of faith, that Lake Ridge is kind of a small boat in, in a big sea that we call this, this world. And, and, and then, of course, what we want you to experience, what we want you to hear, is that Jesus was quite interested in being in small boats with his, with his followers and with those who were asking the big questions, Right? There is a sense that we have permission, like we talked about last week, to ask big, big questions of God inside maybe what sometimes feels like the smallness of our life or the smallness of our stories as individuals, if that makes sense. And that that's actually the permission that God um, gives us. Now, now, sometimes there can be a sense that, that if we study and we learn lots about Jesus, Lots of facts about Jesus that we know Jesus, that we know who he is. And, and, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Several years ago, I, I had somebody tell me, um, I asked them a direct question, but they had told me a whole bunch of things about their neighbor, their, their job, their name, you know, where they had moved from, and some of those things. And, and it occurred to me in this conversation with this person that they had listed off a whole bunch of facts about this person, like kind of the things that you would put on the back of a hockey card, 
And I, I said to them, in, in maybe uh, it was a, hopefully a moment of graciousness and kind of pointing out something, but I was like, well, do, what is it like for you to know your neighbor? Like, do you know your neighbor or do you know lots about your neighbor? And I think sometimes we can get those things mixed out. And that, that can be true of our neighbor. It can also be true of God. That actually we can, we can even spend a good amount of time studying the scriptures, studying the facts about Jesus, and never actually spend the time to get to know him, to have him interact and engage us in our real story. And so I like this sermon series because in so many ways, it is the stories of Jesus as he reveals his heart to the people that, that wanted to hear and see and listen and, and get to know him at a deeper level. So I'm not saying we shouldn't study about Jesus, but we shouldn't let it stop there. We should continue to do the work of building a relationship with, with God. Right? Um, and so the story and the stories that we're going to story we're going to talk about today and all of the stories in this sermon series all take place around the Sea of Galilee. And I like that they take place around the Sea of Galilee. Actually, some take place on, like quite literally like last week, on the Sea of Galilee, on top of it. Right? And then some take place around the outskirts of the cities. So a little bit of information about this particular Galilean region. Okay? So, so first of all, uh, this was uh, the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, is a, was a real source of, of income. And it was a real source of life. And it wasn't just about the fish uh, that were there, but it was also about the surrounding areas all around the water. It's kind of a basin there, like many lakes are, uh, other than you know, Lake Chestermere. It's not a basin. It's just like a hole they dug and, and, and put water in. But this was a real basin. And so, that, so as, you, as you go there, and I've been there, um, there is a sense that it's a very, very green, lush area all around the Sea of Galilee. Um, kind of blocked in by some pretty wildernessy, like desolate places, and so in a lot of ways it was kind of this oasis uh, uh, place. Uh, it's about 120 some odd kilometers, depending on which way or where you begin to believe that the biblical context for this the Galilean region began. So it's about 120 kilometers away from Jerusalem, from from the major hub. Okay, it was good land, and there was good water there, and good fish there. But it was a place uh, where hardworking people lived, fishermen lived, where farmers lived, right? It was far enough away from Jerusalem that, that really, you know, the big, the big politicians, you know, those who saw themselves as very important people in, their, in that particular culture, they didn't go there. They stayed in the city of Jerusalem uh, more so. And so there were... So this region wasn't necessarily as upper class as maybe, maybe it was in, in Jerusalem, okay? And in a lot of ways, um, that was true of the religious world too. The temple, uh, the temple existed in Jerusalem, so a lot of the powerhouse religious folks stayed there. And so Jesus finds himself kind of removed from the big center, hanging out with uh, I don't know how else to word this. A little bit more normal people. People that worked with their hands and, and made a living in that, in that sort of a way. Right? 
And, and, and so now the, the context for today happens in Matthew 14, and there's a, a series of things that take place, and I want you to hear them really briefly. I referred to it last week, but, but, but what has happened in this particular chapter at the very beginning is that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, had been, had been beheaded. And, he, and really, in a lot of ways, it was a pointless beheading. You know, like, there are, you know, reasons to behead somebody, right? But, like, right? No, you guys don't get it. Okay, this one was particularly pointless, okay? It was actually a birthday present, okay? So just, just to throw that out there, that it was Herod's birthday, and there's a whole story around it. Yeah. So, so uh, we won't be doing any beheadings this morning. It's not something I request of anyone. Um, but in a lot of ways, the, the execution of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was in a lot of ways kind of a pointless killing. And Jesus has just found this out. In fact, the order in which these stories happen, is you, if you were here last week, you know that I talked about Jesus walking on water. Well, this story of the feeding of the 5,000, which we're going to talk about right now, actually took place just before, just before uh, Jesus went walking out on the water just after finding out this truth. And so it starts in verse 13, and, and, and it actually says, when Jesus heard what had happened, referring to John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. He withdrew by boat to a solitary place. Kind of a fascinating thing. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, the Unpacked podcast, you know that we've been kind of talking a little bit about grief recently. And one of the things that, that we have discovered and what's interesting is that oftentimes we choose because of who we are in terms of private people. Kind of in a lot of ways, we have been taught as a culture to hide our grief. To hide our grief. And in a lot of ways, we as human beings withdraw when, when we have a sense of mourning or grief. And yet actually, actually, that isn't always the healthy move. But oftentimes when we find ourselves, whether it's grief of the loss of a loved one or, or it's just grief of the loss of something else, that, that we have a tendency to pull back and pull away and to do our grief and our sadness and some of maybe those more difficult emotions alone. And yet, actually not really the way we were designed to be. Now in Jesus' case, he withdraws, and he withdraws to a solitary place, and he does that different for a different reason. Part of that was that he, he was continually, at this particular time in his life, and we're going to talk about this, was continually having people come to him to have their needs met. And so for Jesus, there was a significant reason for him to step away and spend time with his father. And so, so the text says that he withdraws to this solitary place in order to rest. Right? And I, I tell you this, and what's happening in the life of Jesus, because, because it, it creates the context. It creates the context for what was actually happening inside the person of Jesus. That Jesus was was in, in some ways, just like you and I, that he actually did experience the darker emotions. And just because he knew where his cousin John the Baptist had gone did not mean that he didn't experience the loss of him 
in his present, present life. Right? He did experience that. And so if we only study this story, the fact, or the, even the story from last week, that Jesus had the capacity to feed 5,000 people, right? Or that, or that Jesus had the capacity to walk on water or help other people walk on water. Those would be some facts that we see about Jesus, but it is important that we understand the context in which Jesus was living. Well, the text says that he went away to a solitary place and, and that people saw where he went. He got in a boat and he went off to a solitary place, which was not solitary for very long. And we're seeing this story unfold if we're looking at it as a timeline, and that was that Jesus needed to rest to recall and remember and to grieve the loss of his friend. And yet, the needs of the people were so great that they found him. Right? And, and it is out of what I hope you will hear this morning, out of Jesus' great compassion, out of his great compassion, that he responds to the needs of the people. Okay? Webster's Dictionary defines compassion this way. Okay, and I want you to hear this. I might even read it twice. It, it defines compassion very simply as a sympathetic consciousness of another's distress together with the desire to alleviate it. So compassion is defined very simply as a sympathetic consciousness of another person's distress together with the desire to alleviate it. That's what compassion looks like. My heart goes out to that person and what they're experiencing, and I want to do something about it. I want to do something about it. Okay? So there's, there's both. Right? There's an activity, in a, in a sense, to compassion. It's kind of like, you know, we flame spans. We really have to have a lot of compassion on the oiler fans today because that was a real that was a real show, right, Patrick? Wow. Too soon? Okay, I'm oh, sorry. Not not very compassionate. Anything I could do about that. Wow. Okay. Right? It was like first one to ten wins, you know? Like that's kinda how it was going last night. Right? So but but Jesus as he steps out of the boat in his solitary place, in his place where he had gone to mourn is almost immediately crowded in with the needs of the people. And it says he has compassion over them. And of course, in his, in his case, he not only had a desire to help them, but he also had the means to alleviate some of their suffering, in particular those who were sick. And so he begins to heal people. He begins to heal people. And even as Preston uh, reminds, like even as I was writing this message, it, it was it was very apparent to me that that at this particular time in in Lakeridge's story here in the last few weeks, wow, we have some folks in our midst that are they're they're sick. Things are very difficult. You know, I, I when I was writing this, it, it was at the a similar right about the time when we were hearing about about Kelly, about Pastor Preston's wife, who who who's really struggling health-wise, right? And, 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 and that coupled with the loss of, of Steve King, who is just, just so heartbroken to have lost somebody so important to our community. 
we have several people, as Preston said, and I won't say who those people are, but who are in hospital today and, and others who are struggling in various different ways. And so I wonder what does it look like for us to think about what does it mean for us to demonstrate and learn and grow in the area of compassion. See, I believe that one of our callings as followers of Jesus is to grow in a desire to see the needs of our community and to do something about those needs. I believe that that's actually one of the things to, to, to learn to see the needs in our community as Jesus did and then to do something about those needs, at least those that we are capable of doing something about. Right? I, 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 I actually will go a little bit further and I will say that I believe that this is actually one of the ways that we come to know Jesus. By demonstrating compassion to our community. In other words, right, the activity of compassion produces in us a spiritual practice of growing closer to Jesus. It's not something that comes after necessarily. It is something that we can practice compassion. And that helps us, like a spiritual practice does, to grow a closer relationship with Jesus. You see, because Jesus cared deeply about the needs of the people around him. Loving our community in practical ways is not just a strategy for growing a church. Do you hear me? This is not just a strategy for growing a, teach, a church. It is about teaching us how to understand and develop the heart of Christ inside of us. It is a part of who we are, not a part of what we do. And I think that that's something that, that sometimes we, we, we need to, to keep in mind. And, and, and the text actually says that Jesus, that Jesus healed the sick for a good deal of time. <laughs> a very good deal of time. What's fascinating about this is that on the side of the hill where he was, he wasn't necessarily teaching. Right? I think that sometimes, like even, even here, we come on Sunday morning and then there's an anticipation that the pastor's going to say something, uh, hopefully, that will teach us something or challenge us to do something or whatever. In this particular case, Jesus was just simply healing people. <laughs> simply healing people. He wasn't, he wasn't preaching a big sermon there. People with needs were coming, in particular the sick, and he was healing them didn't preach or teach here. It was a day of work of meeting the needs of people around him. So I just wanted to point that out, that, that sometimes we can get mixed up and we can hear, well, church is Sunday morning. It happens on Sunday morning in this place. We come here, we sing, we pray. Somebody preaches and teaches us something and then we go home. But the reality of what was happening in the life of Jesus and those who were interacting with him and getting to know him and his heart, they were with him. They had rolled up their sleeves and were getting involved in the compassion work of Jesus. We learn in those settings as much as we do in the other settings. Right? It was a time of, of healing. So much so that the disciples approached Jesus and, and out of their very best of intentions, right, 
out of being responsible, I'm sure. Out of being responsible. They asked Jesus to send the crowd away so that they could feed themselves. So they could take care of the needs that they had. Send them away so that they can find food. Well, the reality was actually that that there were so many people there that they had likely doubled the size of that region. If they had left, where would they have found food? Just think about that. Like, population-wise, there was more people at this feeding than lived in the region. So where would they have found this particular food? Right? And of course, this is where, where we see this, this Jesus say this. And he says, they don't need to go away. You give them what they need. They don't need to go away You give them what to eat. Wink, wink. That's my version. Right? Wink, wink. Translation. Right? Don't don't worry, guys. We are going to do something really awesome. Right? Don't worry. Now, I think think we missed this, but, but this, of course, was the place where the disciples were supposed to remember that God had provided manna in the wilderness for his people some 1,600 years earlier. That's what they were supposed to hear when he said, don't, don't, don't send them away, we will feed them. Wink, wink, right? Of course. It was like a throwback to 1,600 years earlier, which of course was on the forefront of the disciples' mind. Right? They were supposed to remember that God provided manna in the wilderness when his people were hungry. Some 1,600, or it was roughly 1,600 years earlier. Right? So it wasn't really that they had a lack of faith or anything like that. It was just that they had a lack of memory. Their memory was shot. Right? It's kind of being sarcastic here. But, but maybe I'll just throw this out there. But you know that this story that we're talking about today, it happened about 2,000 years ago. So you just think about that, right? Like, like, how is it that we think that we don't have a God that's going to provide abundantly for us? Because, you know, if, if we had better memories, we would have the faith to, to know that, of course, God's going to provide. That's literally what, what they were kind of expected to remember. A story that had happened 1,600 years earlier. It's not all that different than us. Like, it's no wonder... You know, they forgot about that whole manna thing in the wilderness. Right? Because, you know, to me, 2,000 years ago, it seems like a bit of time ago. You know? Some things have changed in that time. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, I think it's just something to keep in mind. All right, so back to our story. Just think about that for yourself. I was saying to somebody this morning that, that oftentimes we, we work, I'm going to just throw this in, oftentimes we work to make sure that we have compassion for those in our neighborhood and in the, wor- in the world. And we forget actually that the same compassion that God extended and would like us to learn to extend to others, we also are supposed to work at extending to ourselves. The degree to which you can demonstrate compassion to the world or your neighbor 
degree to which you can be compassionate towards yourself. Be good to yourself. Give yourself a break every once in a while to, to maybe think incorrectly or to forget a story from 2,000 years ago. Be compassionate towards yourself to the degree that you are being asked to be compassionate towards others. Just think about that, right? Jesus said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. This is not some inappropriate thing to take care of or be compassionate towards ourselves. This is actually something that lands right in the words of the greatest commandment to care for ourselves as well, right? All right, back to this story. So the disciples, uh, they didn't catch the wink, wink, and so they just say, this is what we have. We have five loaves of bread and two fish. And what's interesting about this story is, 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 is in their defense, they don't say it isn't possible. They don't actually say that it isn't possible. They only say that the math doesn't add up. Kind of like the Lake Ridge budget, right? We're going to talk about it on Wednesday. <laughs> right? That there is this level of faith, and where does God fit in even into our budget setting for this next year? What does that look like? Right? I'm totally kidding. But any, any Lake Ridge budget, any church budget that doesn't have a layer of faith in it, because we are people of faith, might need to be questioned. It might be, might need to be questioned. There goes the parting words. Something to keep in mind. And so Jesus tells them, um, and, and, and Jesus takes what they have, and, and he instructs them what to do. And, and what he instructs them to do is sit down and wait. instructs them to sit down and wait. As a doer, uh, not a huge fan of this part. I'm not a huge fan of this part. But, but that actually is what he says. He says, have everybody sit down and, and wait. And as they sit and wait, he reminds them of the abundance of God in a prayer. And this is what he says. He says, taking the five loaves of bread and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the people and they all ate until they were satisfied. And they all ate until they were satisfied. Lake Ridge, we have an abundant God. We have an abundant God. We do not have a God who operates out of a, out of a layer of scarcity. We have a God who operates actually out of an abundance. We have a God who compassionately distributes his resources to those in need and even some who are in want. That's the God that we have. A God who compassionately pours out the goodness of his Father in heaven. That's the God that we're meant to get to know. 
It's not the facts about who he fed. Yeah, 5,000 in this context because of the way and culture and all those kind of things. I'm not a huge fan. 5,000 men besides women and children. Okay? They had it completely. You know, I, I watched the Titanic. It's almost always women and children first. But the Bible? It's like they always list the men first. And I just don't know. I don't see that in the heart of Jesus. But this is the way that it was written down. So way more than 5,000. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. There's about the same amount of women kicking around as there are men. And, and there's a whole lot more, ba- at least in my house, there's a lot more kids than, than just Kristen and I. And, incidentally, they eat a lot. They eat a lot. <laughs> Kevin's like, yes, they do. <laughs> right? Right, lots of kids. They eat a lot. And so here's this story, right, of God providing. Even the the accuracy of the spreadsheet doesn't reflect the amount of people that Jesus fed and that there were 12 baskets left over. And traditionally, we understand that there were 12 disciples, even though there there were plenty of people that were following Jesus as a group. Okay? And I, I, have, I have shared this a few times before. I've preached this story before, but one of the most profound parts of this story is not that Jesus just performed the miracle big enough to fi- feed all these people, but actually that it was the disciples who fed them. That the disciples fed them. The disciples handed out the baskets. And the disciples cleaned up afterwards. This was not a solo mission of Jesus feeding all of these people. This was a collective community of people feeding, meeting the needs, being compassionate, identifying even the, the needs. It was their compassion, and it was the compassion of the disciples, actually, that caused them to notice the people's needs, the hunger of the people. The disciples noticed that need. The disciples noticed it. You know, why did they notice it? Because they were hungry. The disciples were hungry. You see, we as disciples, even today, we are uniquely equipped to notice the needs of our community because we are the needs of the community. We have the same needs, the desire to be known, the desire to have people know us and our stories. Our needs, we just listed them off. We have people in the hospital. We have people sick. We have people hungry. We have people who are lonely. We have all of these things present in this room as well as outside of this room in our community. We know the needs of our community because we are the community and we're experiencing those things. What does it look like for us as a people to pay attention to what's happening not just in us but in each other because these are the ways that it is translating out into our city, into our streets, and into our neighborhoods. How can we begin to do that? Recognizing that when we do that, that the abundant God, our abundant God, who doesn't just want us to know facts about him, but wants us to know him, wants to feed us with leftovers. Wants to feed us with leftovers. What are you hungry for? 
What are you hungry for? Is it literal food? Is it spiritual food? Is it for a God who heals? A God who walks among us? Is it for a God who brings peace? Is it a God who, who brings compassion? Ask yourself, what is it that you are hungry for? And it will translate out to our communion. It's one of the ways that we can pay attention to what our city needs. May we grow in our compassion for others and ourselves. May we bring what we have to Jesus. May we obediently listen for his direction. And may we learn to be the hands and feet of an abundant God. Amen? Let me pray. God, for the gift of your presence among us, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that you, you not only are a God who, who sits up in some faraway place, but a God who sent down your son so that we might be able to walk with him and experience him. God, may we today pay very close attention to your Holy Spirit and the ways in which your Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Maybe you listen and speak with that Holy Spirit, God, so that it might not only speak to us, but also reveal in us the places where we need to be compassionate towards our world and also towards our own interior life. For the gift of your Son who demonstrated an outpouring of his abundant resources, even as we make our way towards Easter, God, that that part of those resources was his very life. We are grateful. We are grateful for the generosity that Jesus demonstrated in even his willingness to show compassion to others when he was sad and heartbroken and suffering. May we be the kinds of people who lean into that Jesus that we might hear and experience you stand and receive the benediction? So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace as you go out from this place experiencing and distributing the very compassion of an abundant God. Amen? Have a great week. Thanks for uh, singing happy birthday to me.